Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our morning service and uh, love the Christmas season. Unfortunately, the last two weeks we've had torrential rain, so um, just bear with us. We have no control over that. But uh, we're so glad that you are here with us this morning. We're looking forward to a wonderful uh, service. And uh, if you're visiting with us today for the first time, or the first time in a long time, um, hope you'll take a moment to fill out one of those connection cards that I hope you were able to receive when you came in. And uh, if you'd like us to reach out to you, please take a moment to fill that out, put that in the little box in the back, and uh, we'll make sure that we reach out to you sometime during the week. And uh, we have a couple of announcements, and then Pastor Josh will start with our scripture reading. Morning. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying, I guess not too enjoying the cooler weather, but looking forward this week, I think should be a little bit cooler. Um, but today we have a Sunday school and junior church meeting following the morning service. So if you are involved in either of those ministries of the next uh, quarter, that will be meeting in the double door room just down the hall here. Uh, also this evening, we're going to have the teens uh, Christmas party and sing inspiration at Brother Josh, or Pastor Josh's new house. He's excited for you guys. I'm sure he's talked quite a bit. Uh, this Thursday, we also have the senior luncheon. We have the Christmas Eve service next Sunday night. With it being the Christmas Eve service, um, it will be the traditional Christmas Eve time of 7 p.m., even though it is um, a, a Sunday night. So just be aware of that. Um, be looking that it's going to be at 7 p.m. next Sunday night. And then January 7th, we are having a nursery meeting uh, following the morning service. Pastor Josh. Our opening scripture reading is found in Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Our theme for worship this morning Let's joyfully reflect on God's grace that provided our Savior. Please let's bow together for a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless our service today. Father, we're so grateful for the Christmas season because we are reminded of the miracle of the incarnation. We're so thankful that you sent your son to earth. He was born in Bethlehem. He went to the cross, he paid our sin debt in full on that cross, and he rose triumphant from the grave. Through his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins. Through his righteousness imputed, we have a righteous position before you, and we recognize that your grace is the root of all of this. And we are so grateful for that grace that we will celebrate today. I pray that as we gather together, our hearts would be Soften to the word of God as we think about the word of God that is laid before us. I pray that we would think about the very rich, practical, and rich doctrinal pieces that we will see in the text in front of us. 
As we sing these wonderful Christmas hymns, I pray that our hearts would just be united in praise, that we would be overwhelmed with incredible gratitude for how good you are and what you have accomplished for us. And Father, I pray that as we give of our tithes and offerings, we would give cheerfully, that we would do it from the heart, and that as a church we would use uh, these resources wisely and according to your purposes. I pray that as we are gathered together today, that our hearts would be richly blessed and that you would be exalted appropriately. We ask it all in Christ's name, amen. Worship, please stand with me and open your hymn books to hymn number 201. O come, all ye faithful, please stand as we sing all three verses of this Christmas carol. Just a couple pages to 199. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. 199 will sing all three verses. Hey! 
great singing. Please be seated as we turn back to 196. 196. Angels we have heard on high. We'll sing all four verses. scripture reading will be found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The scriptures say, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word.
Amen. Thank you, Ian. All right, our next song, It's That Time. 194, 194, Joy to the World. Please stand with me. We're going to sing the first two verses. On the third verse, we'll take a moment and greet one another, and then we'll come back and sing that last verse. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. song before the preaching will be see the christ 174 in our blue book we'll be singing all three verses um some of you may know i had a very precious friend go home to be with the lord yesterday and um i would ask we're going to sing all three verses but on the last verse uh, we're singing about christ and the power of his resurrection would you join me in singing that acapella and sing out as we rejoice in the power of christ his power over death and the power of the resurrection that will be reunited with those that we love. See the Christ, all three verses. See the Christ, the Son divine, one with God before all time. Lay aside his rule of light, clutching not his
the Christ, the Son alive, in His radiant place above, now exalted, raised on high, reigning from the Father's side. Lord of all by God proclaim.
take your Bibles and let's turn together to the book of Luke. And the text that we read this morning was Luke chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 26 down to verse 38. And we are continuing to look at the story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the very first Sunday of our December series, we were looking at the genealogy of Christ from Matthew chapter 1. And we touched just briefly on the story of Mary. And then last week when we had our cantata, we looked at the story of the birth of John the Baptist. And we looked particularly at Zacharias and his words after the birth of John the Baptist. And now what we're going to do is go back and look at that moment where the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a child. And tells her about the nature of that birth and tell her about the nature of who that child is and what he was going to do. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says the following. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his salutation and cast her mind at what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and should be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him of the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her, and who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Please let's bow together and ask the Lord to really bless this time in his word together. Father, as the word of God has been opened and read, I pray that you will take the word and impress it upon our hearts. Father, help us to look at this passage, which some of us have heard read and preached on numerous, numerous times over the many years that we have celebrated the Christmas season. I pray that as we look at this passage, we would have the ability to look freshly at it and to consider the rich truths that are found in this passage as we think about what it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh, as, it, as we think about what it tells us about Mary's humility and her willingness to accept the purposes of God and the small part that she played in that purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world, I pray that you would grip our hearts with the rich truths that we find in that concept. And then as we think about some of the rich implications that we would Humble ourselves, embrace the word, and not just be hearers of the word, but be doers this morning. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. 
The passage in front of us is a fascinating passage because what it shows us is that while Zechariah and Elizabeth doubted some very personal details regarding their role in the redemptive story, Mary humbly accepted that role that God would give her and his plan to bring the Savior into the world. Now, we all understand in the big picture that salvation comes through Christ alone. In fact, the vast majority, maybe everybody here who has of the age where you can understand the gospel, maybe every person in this room today or the vast majority of you in this room today have understood salvation is through Christ alone. His death, his resurrection, his righteousness, and you have placed your faith in the finished work of Christ alone. But a lot of times we do not consider the many, many implications that flow out of what it took for God to bring his son into the world. For the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to take on flesh, perfect humanity, to in no way diminish who he is as God, and in no way diminish what it means to be a man, the Lord Jesus Christ to come to earth and to die for our sins, there are a lot of pieces that we do not contemplate very often. And this morning, I hope that we will reflect on one of those things. In fact, what it shows us is that many times it's easy for us to affirm a theological truth, but to not affirm, or we could say in our practical lives, to not walk by faith when it comes to the little details that God must perform in our lives in order for us to actually get where we need to go, to grow as we need to grow, all those things. And so this passage gives us the words of Mary, which are tremendously practical, and they are very, very, very encouraging to us. As we read this text, I think what the Lord would want us to walk away with is that we need to learn to humbly embrace the role that he has for his plans in our life. Sometimes those plans involve temporary pain. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody asks God, can I suffer? I hope. But the fact is sometimes suffering is a part of the process that God must cause us to pass through in order for us to grow and to mature and to be the people that he has called us to be. In fact, sometimes a person has to be humbled very deeply in order for them to recognize they need a savior. And so God may allow that person to hit rock bottom in order for them to be humbled and to admit, I am a sinner, I do need a savior, I can't save myself. And they hear the gospel and all of a sudden, this message that made no sense to them did not hit their heart. It grabs a hold of their attention and it's driven deeply into their soul and they embrace the gospel. Sometimes God has to do the same thing in our lives when it comes to our growth into Christ's likeness. So let's take a few minutes this morning. Let's think about some of the rich truths that we have in the text in front of us. The first thing I want you to notice from the word of God is that Christ's birth painfully disrupted Mary's life. Painfully disrupted Mary's plans. Now, every single person in this room that can remember the day that you were married, I want you to go back in your mind to what it was like at that time. Okay, some of you, it may be really hard to remember what it was like at that time. And some of you, it was not too long ago. I know for, for Billy and Morgan, it's not too long ago. So hopefully you guys can remember this very well. But you know, every bride, when it comes to this issue of her wedding, she wants everything to be perfect, okay? And so everybody is on pins and needles saying nobody can get sick, right? Is that, is that true? Nobody can get sick. But guess what happens? You have no control many times over how that works out. 
Or, oh, I'm going to have an outdoor wedding, so I want the weather to be perfect in Florida in the summer. Never going to happen, all right? I want the weather to be perfect. And then it's pouring down rain. And, and as you get closer and closer today, you're looking at the, at the extended forecast. You're like, it's not looking good. It's not looking, it's really not looking good. It's really, really, really not looking good. And you think of those terms. We want to bring everything together so it's perfect. Well, here's the simple fact about Mary's life. Mary was a normal young woman who wanted everything to be perfect. I mean, that's, that's the way people are. And a very special event in our lives. We look forward to that time. We want everything to work out as smoothly as possible. And I think it's important to recognize too that when Mary is going through this season of life, she's not the age of most of the people that get married. Certainly not in our culture, but even in the world. She was a very young woman. She was probably the age of someone in the junior high, eighth, ninth grade, something like that. Because that would have been the typical time that people got married in their culture. And so when the angel comes to Mary and she hears this news, in our minds, being so far removed from that time, we think, what a wonderful thing. She has the opportunity to bring the Messiah into the world. What a happy, fuzzy feeling we have internally. And in fact, what she was going through was one of the, one of the most remarkable moments in all of human history. But what we don't think about is how she would have processed that, that, that word from the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 27. It says that the angel Gabriel came to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now if we were to read later on in the text, it is very, very clear that Mary is indeed someone who has never been sexually involved with any man. And she knows when the angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. In her mind, one of the things that was a concern to her was, how is Joseph going to think about this? And how are people going to process this? And how is this even humanly possible? It's, it's unquestionable that those were some of the very things that Mary thought about because she asks these questions. How can this be? It's an important question. And we can also see by the way that Joseph responded that he was going to process this in a way that he would assume, in fact, Mary had been unfaithful. And in the eyes of their culture, they were espouse meaning it's more than just oh people are engaged today and you've got a ring on your finger but in their minds they were married but there were certain aspects of the covenantal arrangement that were not completed but in fact Joseph viewed her as his wife she viewed him as her husband and in their culture if Mary becomes pregnant and they have not gone through all of the customs of the covenantal arrangement of marriage, then there's going to be tremendous pressure on Joseph to say, what happened? And Joseph is going to answer a lot of questions. And Mary is going to answer a lot of questions. And most certainly people will ask a lot of questions without them asking the questions to them. I want to say this. Nearly everything that we know about Mary in the scripture that was positive, I can't think of anything in the scripture where Mary has clearly 
been out of line in the way that she responded to her circumstance. The closest we could say is her misunderstanding of Christ in the temple when he is a 12-year-old boy. And he has to say to her, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But beyond that one moment, I can see nothing that would indicate some kind of problem. She was a woman who walked with the Lord. And in in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the, the way the angel speaks to her, he says, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, Mary was not a sinless person. We know that Mary had other children because the Bible talks about those other children later on. But what we do know about Mary is she's someone that God showed tremendous kindness to. Someone who was willing to embrace what God's plan was for her. She was the recipient of God's grace in a very unique way here. Second thing is that she was in a critical season of life. She was espoused. And the angel's message would have brought all kinds of mixed emotions. He says in verse 31, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. And so as she's trying to process this, there are things like, we've been looking for the Messiah, and because we're looking for the Messiah, this is a wonderful thing. There's things like, I'm about to be married, and Joseph's going to wonder what happened, and if Joseph decides to follow through with what the angel said and, and not put me away, then there are all kinds of questions that he's going to have to answer, and his family may be upset with him, and my family may be upset with me, and there's all kinds of shame and all kinds of scandal associated with this issue. In fact, we could put it like this. The practical implications of a betrothed woman being accused of unfaithfulness were very, very severe. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament law, you would see that in a situation like this, it was possible for the woman to be put to death. And if she is pregnant, they would not have put her to death because they're not going to cause a child to lose It's life because of the choices of the mother. But she would most certainly be put away. And she would have to raise this child alone without a father. There are very few men that would be willing to marry a woman in such an arrangement. The bride's price that would have been an expected part of their culture would have been lost. And the family would have been scandalized on both sides. And in fact, this would have been talked about for a long time in their very small communities. These are some of the practical implications, but the fact is we don't think about them at all. When Mary is found with child, the assumption, in fact, it's not a good one. And we see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Joseph nearly puts her away. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, the mother, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was mindful to put her away privily. So you see that side of it. But there's another side to it as well. It's not just that she's going to experience the stigmatization of that portion of the whole story but why did Jesus come he came to die how was he going to die he was going to die on a cross can you imagine what it would have been like to be Mary and to be in her shoes at the cross as she sees her son who she knows is the savior of the world 
And she sees his humility and his kindness and his love for the very people that have no concept of what they're doing. And there she is at the foot of the cross and she's looking at this man. And she's remembering all of those things that she experienced over 33 years as his mother. In Luke chapter 2 verse 34, Simeon blessed Mary and said, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. For a sign which shall be spoken against, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Think about how you respond when someone has treated your child wrong. You know, that mama bear instinct kind of kicks in a little bit. You did what to my child? You said what to my child? And there is just this tremendous desire to protect our children. And God has given us that because they need to be protected. But here, Mary, Mary is going to hear people just vile hatred towards Jesus. And she knows who he is. She raised him. She knew what kind of a person he was. And she had to experience all of that. Now, we don't think about this at all, but this is a part of the story. Now, this is not the most substantial part of the story. I mean, the most substantial part of the story is who is Jesus? What did he do? But this is a part of the story. Second thing I want you to notice is that this painful disruption was an essential part of God's redemptive story. Now, to put it in another way, you do not have the cross and you do not have the Messiah and you do not have the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and everything that is necessary for you and me to become Christians. You do not have that without the peace that we're discussing this morning. Mary had to have this child in the way that she did and she had to embrace the purpose that God had for her or it completely destroys what was taking place. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. It didn't destroy what was going on. She embraced what God had given her. But this is an essential piece, and I want you to think about this for just a few moments. In verse 30, it's written this way. Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He is the Savior, okay? He is the Savior. That's his name. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. You go, Who's the highest? God. You say, why is that important? We'll come back to it in a second. He will be great, be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. You go, what? Forever. Amazing statement. Of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now don't miss a couple of key statements here because they tell us about the nature of Christ's person. And it's not just what Jesus did that gives us salvation. It's the fact that he is who he is, and he did what he did. So I couldn't go to the cross and die for the sins of my children, or of my wife, or anyone in this room. Why? Because I'm a sinner, and I'm the one who deserves God's punishment. 
And King David couldn't have gone to the cross for us. And, and, and Joseph couldn't have gone to the cross for us or any other person. No one was fit or qualified because they are not a person who meets this criteria. So what does it say about him? Well, the first thing it says, in the text it says, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. She answers, asks the question later, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And then the answer, the answer the angel gives is, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the, whole, the highest shall overshadow thee. In other words, Jesus would be conceived in a completely miraculous way. There was no biological explanation for Jesus' conception. The only way to explain this is the way the text does it. Jesus has no biological father. And so we see this little statement called the seed of the woman. And you know what's funny? You don't see it anywhere in the Bible. I mean, you don't see it anywhere describing other people in the Bible. Why is that? Well, because they're all conceived naturally. But Jesus was not. He says, thou shalt conceive and bring forth a son because the Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee. The second is the statement, the son of the highest. He shall be called the son of the highest. Literally, this is talking about his position within the Godhead. We talk about the Godhead, we're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the Son, the second person of the triune God. He is of the same essence as Father and of the same essence as the Spirit. But something that is unique about the Son that is different from all other persons of the Godhead is that he has a second nature as well. He is God incarnate, in flesh. In other words, Jesus is not just God. He's God in flesh. You say, I don't understand that. Well, that's an essential part of the gospel. It is a miraculous matter. In John chapter 1, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when Jesus was born into the world, that's not the beginning of his existence. That is when the eternal son who created everything takes on humanity at a point in time. This is very important. We'll come back to it. He's then called the eternal king. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom shall have no end. In other words, there are all these prophecies in the Old Testament that were pointing to the fact that David was going to have a descendant, someone who came through his lineage, who was going to be a king forever. And by the way, when we look at Matthew's genealogy, we look at Luke's genealogy, what, what Matthew and Luke do is they look at the lineage of Christ through both Mary, that would be his biological, if you want to call it, where his humanity comes from. And then they look at Joseph, who's not his father, but that is the legal right to the position of a son of David. And so they look at it on both sides. And, and, and when it talks about, when Matthew talks about Mary, he makes it very, very clear that Jesus was conceived in a unique and miraculous way. He's the son of the highest. He's the eternal king. And then there's another piece that's important. He's sinless. It says, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now listen, if Jesus had sinned at any point, he could not go to the cross 
and purchase our redemption. He's the sinless one. There's a lot more that we could say about this this concept, but I'll continue. These details are an essential part of the story for really two pieces. One is that God's word is on the line. The first mention of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between these, talking to Satan, and the woman, he's talking to Eve, and thy seed, he's talking to, or, uh, to, to, to Satan, and her seed, he's talking to Mary. And he says, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, the seed of the woman was going to come and crush the serpent's head. He was going to conquer and overcome what Satan had accomplished in the fall. And that promise was on the line. And by the way, that, that promise was kind of unpackaged from one generation to the next generation to the next and to the next. Another important piece of this story is in Isaiah seven fourteen. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Christ had to be born of a woman or God's word was going to be compromised. And then Christ's nature is on the line. We talk about who Jesus is. Not just the promises, but the fact that he is God in flesh. The fact that he is a sinless man. All of those things are directly connected back to the story that we're looking at here. Listen carefully to some of these scriptures. In Galatians 4.4, it says, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. John 1.14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that little statement, the only begotten, has the idea of a one of a kind. There's none like him. He is unique. There's no person who's ever been born into the world that has the same nature that Jesus has in this way. It's a miraculous matter. And so these scriptures are on the line. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, being in the form of God, he's talking about his essence, who he is as God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, meaning that he didn't have to steal equality with the Godhead because he's God. That's the idea. It says he made himself no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Literally what Jesus did is he took all of these benefits of being God and he took them and he set them to the side so that he would experience life as one who is truly human. In other words, the one who made the world cried like that. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? The one who upholds all things by the word of his power had to learn how to walk. He had to be taught how to read and write. He took on the limitation. Now, he didn't stop being God. He laid it aside so that he could take on full humanity. And not only did he do this, but he took on the lowest of the lowest positions so that we could be saved from our sins. He says he humbled himself, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In other words, he's making a point. It's not just that Jesus died, but it's the kind of death. It was a horrific 
kind of death. The miraculous nature of Christ's conception is an essential aspect of the gospel. That, this, this made him uniquely qualified as the one-of-a-kind, unique son of God to take on our sin debt. I love the statement of Romans chapter 5. Listen carefully to what it says. It says, if by one man's offense death reigned by much, by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by one, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is a part of the story. And so if Jesus had not been born in such a way, he would not have been qualified to go to the cross for us. The third thing I want you to notice this morning is that Mary humbly embraced God's will for her life in that moment. In verse 38, it says, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Isn't that an amazing statement? She says, as you've stated, I'm willing to accept that. I ask this question. How many of us chafe at some of the most basic things that God commands us to do? The most basic things that are very simple. They do not even begin to rise to the level of what Mary is experiencing. And we get angry at God as if he has no right to tell us, don't do this and do this. We get very upset with him. We look at the arrangement of circumstances and we look at God as if he's done us wrong somehow. We act as if he needs to follow our dictates. It's like we're God, not him. I mean, the most basic sin of humanity is the sin of ingratitude. When mankind knew God, what did they do? They didn't glorify as as God. They were unthankful and their foolish heart was darkened. Yet Mary said, so be it. Be it unto me according to thy word. I love what we see later on in verses 45 to 51. Because Elizabeth talks to Mary about what she's experiencing and her perspective. And then Mary speaks about her perspective. Listen to what it says. Blessed is she, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary, that believed there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my savior. Mary needed to be saved just like you and I. And she was rejoicing in that salvation, knowing that the baby that's going to come into the world through these circumstances is going to be her savior. It says this, he, God, hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Now, obviously Mary was confused, and there was a lot going on. But when it really came down to understanding what was about to happen, she said, not only do I embrace it, but I celebrate it. I thank God 
that I have this opportunity that from this time forward, every generation, going all the way back to creation and all the way back to whenever the Lord Jesus returns, every generation of Christians is going to look at this moment in history and they will celebrate it. She said, I get to be a part of it. That's what she's saying. She did not complain about everything that would come with that position. She embraced it. And she stands as a great example of how we should respond to God when his plans disrupt our comforts. God calls us all to be his disciples. And the simple fact is a lot of us, we understand salvation is a free gift, but when it comes to God saying, well, this is how you're supposed to live now that you're saved, we go, well, I'd like to kind of rule my own life and do what I want to do. And God says, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. God calls us to be disciples. The commitment to follow Christ means a willingness to an absolute submission to his ways. Listen to Luke 14, 33. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Discipleship means you're in charge, God, not me. What you tell me I need to do, I've got to follow. We have to be willing to submit to his ways. And the fact is sometimes in the process, it's not easy. In the process, it's painful. In the process, it might be humbling. But God says, you're my disciple, so live like it. To put it very practically, God calls us as his children to lay aside our perceived rights to comfort, ease, and material prosperity. And he chooses to work through us as human instruments in all kinds of different ways. This morning, I had somebody come up to me with a question about, they had watched a documentary and in the documentary, it was about a man who was trying to go to a group of people that were unreached. And this unreached people was unreached because they didn't want to be touched. <laughs> if somebody came from outside of their community, they killed them. And they had done this over and over and over again with repeated people. And the question was, was it worth it for this guy to make another attempt and to just be another one in the story? People who tried to reach these people with the gospel and and we're killed. But I ask this question. What does it take for the things that God does in the world to get done? Sometimes it takes people making great sacrifices. And the fact is that a lot of us today, we like the benefits of Christianity, but we don't like the process that produces them. We'd love to have great children, we love all the, the different things that are part of being part of the church body, but we don't want to contribute ourselves. We don't want to put our own selves on the line. You may not realize this, but today we had Sunday school down in the fellowship hall. It's nice and cozy. But there's a reason it was cozy back there. It's because last night at 9 o'clock, a man was called who came to the church and fixed our boiler. He charges nothing. On a Saturday night at 9 o'clock, I was actually a little embarrassed to call the guy, just to be very honest. And he came. He was so nice. And in the conversation, I think Jim Williams and I said something to him like, you know, 
what about these situations and this and that? And he said, man, I've, I've been working on people's boilers on, Christ, on New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve. They have people at their house and it's got to get fixed and I'm there and I'm doing the job. And here's a simple fact. If I didn't tell you that, nobody but maybe like three people would know that that happened. We had no heat in the building yesterday at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And somebody came on Saturday night and did that. The truth is the vast majority of us would never want to be bothered by such, such a thing. This is my personal time. It's me time. Don't bother me. My phone's off. Don't text me. And he answered the call and he came. It's, just, it's a small thing, but it was something that just happened. And it came to my mind. But the simple fact is when it comes to people getting saved, people aren't there saying, hey, give me the gospel. I want to get saved. They're like, don't knock on my door. <laughs> don't invite me to church. Oh, you again? Oh, what is going on here? But what does God do? He just continues to extend his hand of kindness to people. He continues to bring the word to them through circumstances, through individuals. What happens when you have two people who are at great odds with one another? Well, everybody says, it's not worth it to get involved in that. Just let them do their thing. <laughs> But there are some people that say, no, my job is to go and talk to them. I got to sit down and work through this issue with them. We got to get to the bottom of it. We got to work this issue out. And you know what? A, a marriage might be preserved by that. Kids aren't going to have to grow up in broken homes because mom and dad had somebody that was willing to step in or some buddies that were willing to step in and help them work through those issues. Something as simple as a Christmas Eve service or uh, cantatas, those kinds of things. Well, the fact is there are lots and lots of people who, they gave hours and hours and hours just so that we could sit down and enjoy 20 minutes of, well, that was really nice. But we don't have any concept of what goes into these things. There are people that literally lay their lives on the line so that we can meet in peace as a nation. There are people right now that are doing jobs that if, if they stopped doing those jobs and nobody did them, we'd have utter chaos in our society. And the bottom line is that unless there are people that are willing to embrace the hard things, there's a lot of needed things that don't get done. And a simple example of this is Mary. If she's like, I don't want this, how does the story end? Well, it's, not how it, it's not what she did. But that's why she's such a great example of someone who said, I embrace this. I'm thankful that I get to be a part of what God's doing. And so I want to encourage you in your practical life, be a person who follows such a pattern. This story has rich theological implications and it has rich practical implications. And Mary's life has a lot to teach us. And so I say, may the Lord help us to be a people who embrace the role that he has given us as he continues his work in the world. Let's humbly and obediently embrace the purposes he has for us. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, as we think about the word of God having been laid before us this morning, I pray that every heart would be touched by the word. Father, help us to be convicted deeply in our souls if that's what we needed today. Father, if we needed to be humbled, I pray that that would be the effect of the spirit that you would bring us to repentance and a humbling of the heart. Or we turn to you and we embrace whatever you have for us in a certain circumstance. 
And Father, I pray for those who have been wearied by circumstance and they are striving to walk in accordance to your word faithfully and they are burdened and weighed down. I pray that these scriptures would uplift them, encourage and strengthen them and they would recognize how privileged they are to have such a great example before them and may they see not just what's going on now but may they see the future, the long-term effects of faithfulness. Help us as a church to glory in the redemptive work. And as we think about this Christmas season, may we never, ever get over the fact that the second person of the triune God took on flesh and he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And we are forgiven and righteous in him. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you could, let's pull out our hymn books. And our closing hymn that we'll be singing is 202, Good Christian Men Rejoice. And as we prepare ourselves to sing this song, I just want to say if there's anybody here that does not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, you have questions about salvation. If you're to die today, you're not confident you'd go to heaven. Please, don't leave here without coming by and saying, Pastor, I want to talk to you. I don't know for sure I'm saved. I'm concerned about it. I need to talk to you. Please do not hesitate for a moment to come and speak with me. It might be that there's a burden that you need to just pray with somebody about. Reach out to them. Maybe you need counsel. Do not hesitate to reach out if there's a need. Let's stand together, please, and let's sing 202, Could Christian Men Rejoice? We'll sing all three verses together this morning. Good Christian men rejoice with heart, soul, and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Oxen as before him how He is in the manger now. Please come close in prayer, and I want to mention that tonight we will be in the book of Ruth, and today, this morning, we looked at Mary's humility and God's grace. We're going to look at Ruth's wisdom and God's grace, and it's one of the, I think, one of the sweetest passages in all of Ruth. There's a lot of really good passages in Ruth, but it's one of the sweetest, so I hope that perhaps you can join us back tonight as we do that. Brother Ralph. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we can study a very precious time 
in the history of our, our world, Lord. We pray that you would give us an opportunity this week to, to, to share this um, wonderful occasion that unto us a child is born with the world around us. Lord, we, we, we ask your blessing as we're dismissed. We ask you to watch over us and bring us back safely. And we give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.